Kia ora, no mai kitifare. Welcome to the house. I'm Johnny Blades. Private bills can be about law change that addresses a very specific matter, particular to just one person. And such is the case with the Annie Oxborough Birth Parents Registration Bill in the name of National MP Chris Pink. Annie Oxborough was adopted as a child, and the identity of her birth parents was removed from her, young and unmarried as they were, just as she was physically removed from them. Annie has subsequently formed a relationship with her birth parents and is seeking now to have their names added to her legal birth certificate to formally register her biological and legal parentage. As it happens, her original birth certificate, pre-adoption, did not include the name of her biological father as this was not provided at the time of her birth. In any case, neither Annie's original birth certificate nor her legal post-adoption birth certificate provide a true and accurate account of her lineage. This private bill would rectify the issue and provide to Annie uh, the right to have her biological heritage reflected on her birth certificate. Uh, I point out that Annie's biological parents have consented to this step being taken. You may wonder if this birth certificate fix is not something that could simply have been done with the stroke of a pen at the Births, Deaths and Marriages Office. Here's Chris Pink again. This bill is the only legal mechanism that exists by which Annie can achieve, in a certain fashion, this outcome. Uh, The way that the bill would do this, Madam Speaker, is to instruct the Registrar-General to record the names of Annie's biological father and mother on her birth certificate as her two parents, in accordance with Section 24 of the Births, Deaths, Marriages and Relationships Registration Act. In this respect, it is not dissimilar to the Page-Harris Birth Registration Act, passed relatively recently by this House uh, in the name of Louisa Wall in unanimous fashion. Pink and other MPs say a broader look at this area of law and policy is needed. As the ACT Party's James McDowell noted, there are many others in similar circumstances as Annie Oxborough. It's not particularly reasonable to say that for every single person uh, that legislation on a per-person basis is the answer. Uh, long term. Uh, certainly there needs, probably needs to be some law changes here. Uh, it's particularly important around historical adoption uh, in the era, the baby scoop era, uh, where it says at 1.76 babies were being given away each week in New Zealand. Uh, and historically over 100,000 adoptions have taken place uh, and those, uh, those children, now adults, uh, don't have that legal right to actually have the biological parents put on their birth certificate. The government says it's working on law reform in this area. Meanwhile, those speaking on this first reading of the bill were unanimous that supporting it was the right thing to do. The debate was a rare example of accord among MPs across the political divide, a welcome break from the usual arguing and point scoring, the sort of harmonious atmosphere in which members can open up about their own lives, such as Labour's Glenn Bennett. My mother was adopted uh, and has been through the experience of searching, uh, looking for her birth parents. Uh, And it was a different time. My mother was born in the early 1940s and it wasn't till uh, her mid-30s that she actually started looking to see if she could uh, find her her birth parents. It wasn't till later on that uh, she was able to find her birth mother but no record of her birth father. The challenges of what was back in the day closed adoption and also around the the feeling often of the state of church organisations that for some reason thought the best idea um, for a child was for them not to know their lineage. Labour's David Clark also had a personal story to relay about his mother. Later in her life, um, after her adoptive mother had died, her adoptive father 
um, shared with her some information about her adoption that was sufficient for her to trace some of that history and reconnect with her uh, birth mother. With that information and uh, a good deal of detective work going through births, deaths and marriages processes, newspaper articles uh, and the like, um, I can remember as a child travelling around the South Island with my parents as they did the, the detective work essentially to find uh, that connection and then eventually um, uh, that led to a reconnection with uh, my mother's birth mother who then uh, I as a child came to know um, and developed a connection with. After a debate in which we learnt quite a bit more about several MPs and their lives, the bill passed its first reading unanimously. MPs were now free to return to attacking each other. Thanks, Johnny. Kia ora, kofo Parliament is a place where everything happens very slowly and then all of a sudden. For example, on Wednesday, this happened. The Honourable Grant Roberts. Speaker, according to a determination of the Business Committee, I move the motion in my name relating to the procedure for personal voting, allowing clerks to take the place of tellers. Uh, the motion is available on the table. Uh, the question is that the motion be agreed to. Those of that opinion will say aye. aye. To the contrary, no. The ayes have it. And just like that, Parliament changed a very old rule. But only until the election. The motion that Grant Robertson was getting everyone's agreement on there is called a sessional order, a change to the standing orders, the rules, that only applies to the current parliamentary session. And that ends when Parliament dissolves for the election. Sessional orders like that are often a trial run for rule changes that might be adopted permanently when all the rules get a makeover for the next parliament. Yeah, they reconsider all of parliament's rules every three years. So what exactly was the rule change? Well, I'm sure the suspense is killing you. The Leader of the House, Grant Robertson, didn't exactly lean into the explanation because it had already been agreed all around. I'll explain in a minute. But first, a little bit of background and a clue or two. The Standing Orders Committee, who look after the rules, said that this one needed changing three years ago and suggested trialling an alternative, but it also didn't really work out. This rule is about a kind of vote that only happens very occasionally and will likely next occur at the end of the month. Not helping? Have a listen to this. Maureen Pugh. Uh, thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Last night, the National Whips held proxies for all national members in favour of the sale and supply of alcohol, exemption for race meetings, amendment bill. Unfortunately, due to an administrative error, these votes were not cast on behalf of the members not in the chamber. I seek leave for those 25 votes to be added to the ayes and the result of the vote adjusted accordingly and will supply the names of the proxies to the clerk to include in the result. Leave a sort for that purpose. Is there any objection? That was National's junior whip Maureen Pugh last month asking the House to fix a mistake in the vote count from the previous day. The error resulted in nearly three quarters of National Party MPs getting no vote. Luckily, it hadn't changed the actual result. You'll note that Maureen Pugh creatively described a pretty impressive screw-up as an administrative error. It wasn't even the only vote count fix that night. There was also this much smaller boo-boo. Mr Speaker, last night during the vote on the first reading of the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Harm Minimisation Amendment Bill, the votes of five Labour members were not cast. 
I seek leave for those votes to be added and the result of the vote adjusted accordingly. I will supply the names of the members to the clerk. Four were opposed and one was in favour. Both of those mistakes happened during what's called a personal vote. It's not something that MPs get much practice at, and it only occurs on what are often described as conscience issues, which are most often on laws that touch on moral or religiously tinged topics, especially anything to do with either alcohol or sex. Now, those mistakes were on two different alcohol-focused members' bills. For conscience issues, parties might allow their MPs to vote as their conscience dictates, rather than along party lines. And, except during COVID, how that happens is that MPs are all called into the debating chamber and then they file out again through one of two doors according to the vote they want counted. The eyes will go to the right, the nose to the left, abstentions will come to the table. Now, traditionally, the vote count for each side of a question has been done by an MP, someone that's heading out that door anyway. They're nominated as a teller. But MPs turn out to be pretty crap at counting. Hopefully, though, not the finance minister. Admittedly, it's more complicated than I can easily describe, and it is made harder by MPs being allowed to actually not turn up, but to give someone else their vote by proxy. So then you have to count the actual bodies and also the votes for the MPs that aren't actually there, like counting ghosts. The teller for the eyes will be... Maureen Pugh, the teller for the nose will be Glenn Bennett. The MPs nominated as tellers mark all this down by crossing out MPs' names on specially printed sheets. And then the clerk's team count them up and cross-check them, comparing the eyes and the nose sheets against each other to check that MPs don't magically vote both ways. Yes, it does happen. A body on one side and someone thinking they've got their proxy on the other. One MP, two votes. So, a new rule. Relating to the procedure for personal voting, allowing clerks to take the place of tellers, uh, the motion is available on the table. The actual new rule is more complicated, but it can be simplified to this. For goodness sake, let the professional clerks be the tellers and leave the MPs to just be the shouters. Inevitably, of course, errors happen. But the clerks count votes all the time and are very unlikely to forget 25 votes at once. That takes a special kind of talent. And while we're talking special talents, arguably, no pun intended, Parliament is New Zealand's preeminent talk shop, the nexus of professional debating. But really, sometimes the oratory can be a little bit disappointing. It's not surprising. MPs that are rostered on for their party on a busy day might make speeches on multiple topics in short order. If they poured effort into preparing each one, they really wouldn't get anything else done, and they can't even be certain what will be up for debate and when. But some speeches are more predictable and give more of a chance to shine. It doesn't necessarily mean that they will. Uh, Mr Speaker, I move that this House congratulate His Majesty the King on the occasion of his coronation. Uh, Mr Speaker, on May the 6th, I was privileged to attend the coronation of His Majesty King Charles III and Queen Camilla. This week began with a motion on whether or not to congratulate the monarch on his recent coronation. It was pretty predictable, and so everyone had a chance to prepare something. The leaders of both major parties, who had been there, gave serviceable speeches, while the leader of Te Pāti Māori didn't get to give one at all, having just been kicked out of the house. 
Rawiri Waititi will leave the chamber, and Debbie Packer, Ngārewa Packer, will leave the chamber as well. The most memorable speech was possibly from Green Party leader James Shaw. It may also be the shortest ever speech from a Green MP. They typically use all of the time allotted every time, like they don't want to waste any democracy. So this was unusually punchy. Uh, Mr Speaker, on behalf of the Green Party of Aotearoa New Zealand, I would like to um, uh, extend Charles, Camilla and their respective families all the very best. Wonderfully casual. I'm almost surprised he didn't call them Chuck and Cam Cam. The Greens, as you might surmise, abstained on the vote. Winning the week, so to speak, at the other end of the scale was a speech from ACT Party MP Nicole McKee. I first thought she was taking the mick with a mock serious contribution, but I'm pretty sure it was not intentionally satirical. It was like a comedy bio that ran increasingly desperate for content as it went. It even resorted to bios on the other kings named Charles, even the Bonnie Pretender. And then it really ran dry. Mr Speaker, I'd like to finish up talking of some of the little-known facts about our official King Charles III. He likes eggs and chose a quiche as a signature dish. He's a fan of Emmerdale Farm. He's taken up many causes over the years and was one that he took up was for better equipment for British forces in Iraq. And another was to expand, not restrict, the availability of herbal medicines. He has a tree frog named after him, Prince Charles' magnificent tree frog. God save the king and the frog. You've been listening to The House. It's a whakaranga koe This programme is produced with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matua.